0: Today we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12, and I'm going to go through chapter 3, verse 4. And if you're a guest with us, we just work our way through scriptures. You happen to have joined us when we're in 2 Corinthians in this passage. And uh, in honor of God's word, we stand as, as we read the passage to show our reverence for the word of God. You know, they used to do that in the Old Testament as well when the scriptures were read in the days of Ezra. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. When I came to trust to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. And children can be dismissed for Children's Church. There are any that aren't already back there? Okay. So, the Apostle Paul has in this letter we've we've been through so far he we've seen him defending himself against the detractors in the Church of Corinth. There apparently had been some strong resistance um, towards his his second time there, the one before he went to Macedonia, and uh, to his instruction that he gave them to in his first letter to uh, remove that a moral brother from the church. So he went, but then when the conflict was so great, he went on to Macedonia and he didn't return like he told them he would at the end of that first letter. So um, our passage today talks about how he was waiting to hear from Titus about how that letter was received. Verse 12, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, My spirit was not at rest because I didn't find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. So on Paul's way to Macedonia, he stopped there at Corinth and was met with this hostile resistance, this uh, unwillingness to to do the Lord's leading to remove that unfaithful brother. At least we assume that's what it was about. So then he left uh, suddenly because of that, conflict that was taking place and he went on to Troas of Alexander to preach the gospel Paul frequently went to strategic Roman cities knowing that if they're crossroads and if a church is planted there the people who pass through that area are going to hear the gospel and take it with them to other areas of the Roman Empire so he was uh, the Holy Spirit was strategic in sending him to different cities and At Troas, um, we find the entrance to the Dardanelles major waterway. That's in the the northwestern part of Turkey. And so if he could plant a church in Troas, then people traveling through Troas for trade would get to hear the gospel. And he found a a door was open to him for for sharing the Lord. God provided an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus there. And that normally would be the only sign that he needed to stay there and work, and that's what he usually did. He found a door open, he stayed, he worked, he discipled people. But his spirit wasn't at rest, and that's because in between he had sent this, what we call the severe letter or the tearful letter to Corinth, a letter we don't have. It would have been the second letter to the Corinthians, and this would have been the third if we ever had found it. And who knows, maybe someday it will be discovered. But he sent that kind of a harsh letter, and he was waiting to hear from Titus to see how they had received it. Had they rejected it? Had they repented? Had they, was there a change? Did the letter do its work? And so he thought perhaps he would meet him in Troas if if. He had been down there and was on his way up to meet Paul, where Paul was headed in Macedonia, but Titus didn't arrive. And so, anxious to hear about Corinth and not finding him there, he went on to Macedonia. Paul's explaining the, to the Corinthians this burden that he has on his heart for the churches, and while he was said, he already said in uh, earlier in chapter one, verse seven that he was certain of their faith. He's not afraid that the church is going to fall apart or that they're going to uh, pick up some false doctrine and go in the wrong direction, but he wants them to stay connected with him to mature them. We see later on that Paul's heart is to present everyone he ministers to mature in Christ. He wants them to grow up in Christ and be the people that God wants them to be. So he had this heart, a shepherd's heart, wanting to stay in good, the flock to stay in good pasture, to avoid poisonous weeds of false teaching, and to continue to mature. We often see in scripture that God uses imperfect people like us, right? And in fact, in his other letter, he said, you see, you're calling, brother, not many wise, not many, and he names all these qualities that the world would look for. And he says, not many of those are chosen. And Paul exhorts us not to be anxious about anything, but to pray and to trust God. And he tells us to make the most of every opportunity. But. The concern he had in his heart caused him to pass up this opportunity in Troas. Hoping that he would find Titus and hear the good news. We are emotional beings. And we naturally care about those whom we love. And God understands. And yet sometimes we pass up opportunities he sends our way because of some anxiety about a situation that really isn't in our hands. Remember that God's hands are the best place to leave those whom we love. We can try and try and try. Paul could have stayed there and argued and argued, or he could have turned around and gone back and tried to work it out, but he knew that if he just left them with the word of God from that second letter that we don't have and trusted God that they were going to receive it. And later on, we would find that... uh, in in 2 Corinthians, I think in chapter 7, Titus does finally catch up with Paul and gives him the good news. Verse 14, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the knowledge, the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So though Paul passed up this opportunity, he declared the wonder of Christ victoriously leading us and spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere we go. He may have left only a few seeds behind in Troas, but when we learn from Acts 20 verse six that he would be back there and it appears that a church was planted in Troas. Paul likens our life in Christ to being led in a triumphal procession. Now interpreters look at this Two different ways. Some interpret this as being defeated captives. I can see that because we were once enemies of the cross, right? Before we came to Jesus, we were in our sin nature and enemies of the cross of Christ. But his love conquered us, amen? Anybody out there been conquered by the love of Christ? I know I have. At the end of the procession, most of the captives were executed, Maybe a few were spared um, by the grace of the emperor, and that kind of fits with the theology of Scripture, except in Scripture, all who are captured by the love of Christ are granted grace, amen? But I lean toward the interpretation that we are the victorious army that's following our commander. See, that's a whole different way to look at it. In that Roman procession, the, the... well i'll 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 read a quote from a uh a professor about what it looked like, and you'll understand better jesus um, is our commander and after all the the wording in verse fourteen says it's a triumphal procession spreading the fragrance of Christ. Dr. Kenyon Curiton described a Roman triumphal procession like this he writes After Julius Caesar returned from four great conquests, the Roman people organized what they called a Roman triumph. He had brilliantly conquered North Africa, Pontus, Egypt, and Gaul. So at dawn, the Roman senators all lined up in their togas and following them there were musicians sounding the praises of the conquering Caesar and behind them came the spoils that were captured, the wagons loaded with spoils of war. There's gold, silver, precious stones, ivory, spices, fine linens. And then came the animals represented of those countries that they conquered. And next came the conquering army, carrying their commanders on their shoulders. And behind them came the banner of war, the flags of the kingdoms they had defeated as they march across the land. Then came a picture parade which artists renditions of the battles that had taken place and the great victories won on the battlefield preserved this great day of triumph. And behind the picture parade came the prisoners of war who had been defeated in chains, snarling and cursing the Romans who conquered them. And then, towards the end, following that, the victorious Caesar in his chariot. And behind him was his own army. So again, we can look at it two ways. We can look at us as the snarling enemy that's captured and conquered. We get to the end of the procession and grace is given to us. Or we can look at it as we're the army following our great Lord of the battle. You know, in Joshua, Jesus said he was the commander of the hosts, the army of heaven. And they snaked their way among the seven hills of Rome until they came to the forum and he was crowned with a, Caesar was crowned with a laurel garland, and he was hailed as mighty Caesar. It, that was their day of triumph. So, is that how you see your life in Christ? Our mighty King Jesus has conquered his enemies through the cross. Our life through this fallen world is a victory parade. We wind through this world like Caesar would wind through the hills of Rome. And as we do, Jesus spreads through us the beautiful fragrance of the knowledge of Him. And when people know of Him, they either hate Him or they love Him. Verse 15 For we are the aroma of Christ, to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance of life to life. Who is sufficient? for these things. So what's the aroma of Christ? Well, I believe it's the fruit of the spirit that people see in our lives. It's not just love, it's the unconditional love of Christ that we call agape love. It's the same language used for whole burnt offerings in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. A whole burnt offering was said to be a fragrant aroma to the Lord. So when we present ourselves as a living sacrifice and the fruits of the Spirit are exhibited through our lives, people have that wonderful fragrance of Christ. It's not just being happy, but it's that deep abiding joy that we share Jesus' heart knowing that God is good and that we're loved and that he will work all things together for good to those who love him. It's a joy that's not dependent on favorable circumstances, but on who God is, on his nature. It's his joy, actually, in us. It's a peace that's not moved by the passing storms of life. You know, we could go through every fruit of the Spirit and tell how it's different from the way the world looks at each of those things, of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, our Our world, I said this morning in our Bible study, our world has redefined all these words, but we have to come back to scripture and see the scriptural definition, the real truth of what that word represents. Jesus described the difference in John 14, 27. He said, peace I live with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, Neither let them be afraid. Think for a minute how much peace Jesus Christ has. He knows that he and the Father are sovereign over all things. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows he will be glorified in all things. You think maybe he's at peace? (laughs) Oh, yeah. And he says, my peace I give to you. Wow. That fragrance we spread as we live in the spirit is very unique in this world. And all who encountered us know they've never sensed anything like it. It challenges sin, it draws the soul, it stirs the heart. It's nothing like they've encountered in the world before. And then the battle begins within them. Death clings to them, reminding them that they will have to give up the pleasures of this world and leave them behind, but life calls to them and invites them into this mysterious world of the spirit with meaning and purpose that's eternal. The more they lean toward life, the more wonderful the fragrance. The more they lean toward death, the more disgusting it is to them, which sadly means they're perishing. As I was working on this message, uh, the, the men's, Bible study was in Ephesians five, and we hit that passage as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And I thought, how does the church submit to Christ? Though we often fall short, it led me to think of how Christ leads us in this triumphal procession. For that's how we men are supposed to lead our wives. He does it out of love and even his commands for us are out of love for us. Even if we do a poor job following through, his arms are always open to us and his love never lessens. Every direction he gives us is out of love and even when we resist, he keeps leading us for our good. But as the church How blessed are we to have this opportunity to follow his leading and to spread the fragrance of Christ, of the knowledge of him, and laying up treasures in heaven as we do. Seeing lives go from darkness to light. That's my greatest joy, is watching your lives change. Watching people come to Wayside who who had a whole different philosophy in life and who were addicted to drugs or whatever they were addicted to Becoming worshipers of Christ Jesus and being set free from the bondage of sin. Now, what a joy. And that's what we're called to do, brothers and sisters. Bring them from darkness to light. The fragrance industry, you know, is huge. <laughs> Multi-billion dollar industry. From perfumes to deodorizers to incense. And by the way, those... Uh, Paul may be alluding to that victory march of the Romans, they would have incense burning all up and down that victory march. Smell is a highly valued because it gives the impression, an impression in our minds for better or for worse. It conjures our imagination, it reminds us of events in our lives. While Paul's not talking about an actual fragrance, it's a perfect analogy to the presence of a worshipful believer that they carry with them when they're at peace with God and with man. The world desperately needs this fragrance. If more of us spread the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ, we'd find more people drawn to Christ, amen? That, that you know, people are just looking for something that's different from the world. Here in Sedona, so many people are searching. That's why I love being here. Some people say it's the front lines, and in a way it is, but on the other hand, it's an awesome opportunity because people come here searching for the truth. You know, they're they're smelling around and looking for something, trying to get that right fragrance, and it's the knowledge of Christ. But then Paul asks, who is sufficient for these things? Who can faithfully spread the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ? Who does the most, uh, who makes the most of every opportunity? Sadly, I don't think any of us do it completely. But by the grace of God, we yield to the Spirit, and we say the words he prompts us to say, and we pray the prayers he puts on our hearts, and the fragrance spreads. And souls find themselves in the valley of decision. No, we are not sufficient, but Jesus is all sufficient. Amen? We must simply keep leaning on him and allowing him to direct us. Verse 17, for we're not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. You know, there's always been those who fleece the flock for personal gain. I could tell you a lot of stories. (laughs) But Paul tells us to support those who are in ministry, even give the elders double honor. But we must distinguish between those who are sincere and who are commissioned by God speaking in Christ from people who have other motives because there are many who preach with other motives. One brings the fragrance of life, the other of death. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Even tears can be faked. Knowledge of obscure facts and hidden meanings are not signs of sincerity. God's servants give of themselves, and like Jesus, they come to serve and not be served. I've met some currently famous ministers, I'm not gonna name their names, but you would know them because of their books. They are too egotistical to really give you their attention unless you're influential or donate to their cause. God's ministers do not care what you think of them or how important you are to the world. They're only there for you and how they might minister to you and encourage your life in Christ. They don't care about where you come from, your social status, what you look like, or anything else, but only that you are an eternal soul for whom Christ died. May God help us have this heart for all with whom we converse. And that's the beauty of the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are a letter of recommendation written in our hearts to be known and read by all. Today, most churches, most people in churches recognize that it's not the degrees earned that truly commend the minister but rather the degree of concern for the lives of others and the willingness to sacrifice for them. Because Paul had faced such opposition, he asked a rhetorical question. Does he need to reintroduce himself? This isn't about boasting. It's about pointing out who God has called called him to be. It's an introduction in which he entrusted himself to them. It was a common social activity, actually, at that time. After all the time he was with them, he spent at least a year and a half, if not more, with them. The very one who introduced them to Christ, did they need a new letter of introduction? Or did he need a letter from some of the Corinthian church to the rest of the Corinthian church? Paul remembered how God worked through him to bless their lives. He, had they forgotten? Or did the problem with the immoral brother so offend them that they discarded past experiences that they had with him? And sadly, in some cases, one incidence of disagreement can cause people to forget all the sacrifice and love that had been shown in the past. But Paul never hid anything. His life was an open book. He always acted with sincerity. His ministry to them came with signs and with wonders, and their very salvation was the only letter that was needed. Their transformation of their lives was his letter of recommendation, proof of his apostleship. False teachers don't produce that kind of good fruit. So Paul expresses his fatherly love for them, telling them that they are written on his heart, in fact, the hearts of the whole team. He says, our hearts. He expresses the fact that they are in his heart numerous times in this letter. Here in chapter 2, 4, 6 11 and 12 and in chapter seven, verse three, he says they are in his heart to die together and to live together. If the Corinthians can't read the letter in their own lives, the world certainly could read it. Those outside the Christian community could see the change that was taking place in these Corinthians. Even with all their shortcomings, they were still new creations in Christ. They were on a different path from their fellow citizens in Corinth. This calls us to consider what the world is is reading when they look at our lives. Are we spreading the fragrance of Christ? Verse three, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Paul's declaring their lives are all the evidence that's needed. That Paul and his team delivered the letter of the gospel. And then they turned into the letter themselves. They became gospel people. And that's what happens to us when we receive the good news from faithful messengers. We're all postal carriers. When our sister Kathy retired from the postal service, she didn't quit being a postal carrier. It's just now the only mail she delivers is the good news of Jesus Christ, amen? I got my first letter when I was five. Came from my father, preaching a message over and over and over again. I got another letter when I was 12 from a minister just a few blocks from here. And then when I was 16, I got a letter right out of the Bible and a young men's Bible study. When did you get your first letter that turned you into a letter known and read by all? Satan's always throwing fiery darts of doubt. Some of you know you got a letter. You remember the day that Jesus made his home in you, but you doubt that you are a letter today. And I'm not talking about conviction. Conviction says I need to change this habit or forgive that person. Doubt, on the other hand, says maybe my salvation is not real. And maybe I'm not good enough for God. But Paul eliminates that doubt in this verse by reminding them that they are a letter that was written by the Spirit of the living God. The fact that you want to please God, that you hunger for God's word, that you are not the person you once were, are all works of the Spirit of God. Your heart is not what it once was. Your flesh is still around, and you must keep crucifying it to walk in the Spirit, but the very fact that you have the battle tells you that you have been born again. Paul's alluding to a promise from the prophets, Jeremiah 31, verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The covenant was made, in the blood of Jesus on the cross. And he's written his law on our hearts. This is the conviction you feel when you step out of line. And this change that results in being seen as different from the world is the same thing as the aroma of the knowledge of Christ. Paul's using both senses here, smell and sight, to illustrate that people sense that you belong to God. A brief story will illustrate this change Uh, recently, really blessed my heart. Our brother Stefan in Germany is unable to enter deep sleep. He he can't get into REM sleep. It's it's a terrible way to live and doctors have not been able to help him. It makes his life very difficult. It, It affects his physical health. So please pray that God heals him or guides him to an answer. But it's driven him to put his whole trust in Jesus. So as he got deeper and more dependent on Christ, he thought, I'm just going to let the world know I belong to Jesus because I don't have any hope in this world anymore. I don't know if my body's going to go on without sleep. So he tattooed across his forearm, Jesus, in big letters. There it is. That's Brother Stephen's arm, Stephen's arm with Jesus tattooed on it. And I told him when he sent that, I said, Brother Stephen, if you declare Jesus before others, he'll declare you from before the Father. And he wrote me back a letter and said that when he read that, he just cried and cried because he had that sense of, I'm not good enough, I don't do enough. But that verse just assured him that. Yes, he indeed is in the faith. He's God's child. Now, he thought he was going to experience persecution because of that area in Germany is, there's very few real churches. There are some churches, but they're dead as can be, (laughs) to put it mildly. But he went to pick up his kindergartner, and one of the other fathers there said, I like your tattoo. Well, Brother Stephen had been searching for fellowship for years, and he finally found someone who loves Jesus like he does. So his declaration in that Jesus is his Lord, that fragrance, that aroma, somebody else smelled it, and they said, me too. And now he has fellowship, praise God. But do remember to pray for him. Verse 4, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Such is the confidence that we elders in Wayside have through Christ towards you, brothers and sisters of Wayside Bible Chapel. You're here because you hunger for God. And God has put that hunger for his word in your heart and for fellowship with fellow believers. For, for years, I wanted to see a women's Bible study. And finally, we've had one going strong. Thank you, Lejean. And the men's Bible study is strong. And uh, the brothers crowd around that table and dig into God's word. Thank you, Brother Dan. So we're not perfect, but the Spirit of God is at work in our hearts. Amen? And people smell the fragrance, so to speak, and they're either drawn or they're repulsed. They see your lives. They read the letter, the very one you received through Christ, from Christ through us, or maybe from another servant of God, he is the hope of glory. And you, brothers and sisters, are written on our hearts to die together and to live together in Christ. Amen. Jill, would you lead us in a closing song?